0: Jesus, we're aware that you're here by your spirit, and that you speak through your word. So help us to have ears that listen, and hearts that are soft to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, great, well let's start. So, um, if you haven't been with us before... Uh, we've been working through Mark's Gospel. Uh, There are four accounts that you can find in the Bible uh, that um, share about Jesus' life, what he did, his death and resurrection. And probably a really well-known one is Mark. It's the shortest, so it's a really good one to read if you just want to start somewhere. You want to start with Mark because it's pretty snappy and you can read it really quickly. Um, It's one of the earliest uh, books of the New Testament to be written. They reckon about sort of just before 70 AD, so not that very long after Jesus' death. And there would have been people around, witnesses who could uh, testify and give their perspectives. Um, so plenty of things going on there. Last spring term, we did the first half of Mark, which takes us up to the bit where Peter declares, you are The Messiah, you are the one we've been waiting for. You are the King. You are the one that's been prophesied about. You're the one that everyone has been looking forward to and saying, "Is this him? Is this him? Is this him?" And Peter says, "You are the Messiah." It's the climax. If you think of Mark's gospel, like there's two halves. Right in the middle, where it falls over, open. It's going to be Peter's declaration: "You are the Messiah." But of course, Beta doesn't know yet what that means. And so, from this climactic point, the kind of mood of Mark's gospel changes. Before that, it's wow, he did this, and immediately they did this, and shh, don't tell anyone, and this, and this, and this. And from this moment, the whole mood changes to something uh, much more slower much more darker, much more emotional. Because Mark is going to dedicate half of his book to recounting what happened in those last few days of Jesus' life leading up to his death on the cross. And we're in the middle where we get this central bit where Jesus again and again And again, in fact, three times will explicitly say, I am going to die and I will rise again. I'm going to die and I'll rise. And in between those declarations, Mark, the author of this gospel, contrasts it with illustrations and perspective from the disciples on what it means to follow Jesus. What does messiahship mean? What does it mean to be part of his team? And he contrasts Jesus' uh, meaning for this word against the expectations of the disciples and those that follow him. It is so upside down, Jesus' view that the disciples are unable to comprehend what he means by I'm going to die and rise again. They think it's just a picture again, perhaps a parable, an illustration for them to try to work out what it means. But actually, it's very literal. It's obvious. Luke tells us, and bear this in mind well before you start criticizing these poor little disciples... He says, they could not understand. They missed the obvious. It says, they didn't understand the meaning was hidden until the resurrection takes place. So hold that in your mind when you're feeling a bit like, what? Why are they not able to see this is so obvious? Today, Uh, The part of the Bible we're going to study, we're going to think under this heading, what about our ambitions? And um, ambitions are there right from the start, aren't they? From the very moment we start tottering about, people start asking us, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I know I'm guilty of it too. I ask my own children, what do you think you might be? And there's a little part of me, of course, that wants to go, you do want to do that, don't you? (laughs) And I know my mum spent a lot of time trying to convince me that I wanted to be like a chiropodist, like do feet. Disgusting. I never want to do that. But she, in her head, was like, ah, that's a nice job. You sit down, do people's feet quite lucrative <laughs> and we do do this when we're thinking about ambitions we sometimes think about well what's what we could do and how much will we get paid or what could i do and what position would that give us it's our natural kind of go to we don't often sit there and think what could i do that would really benefit other people it's not our natural go to although some people do and And yes, I'm probably not one of them. So, if we look here, we've got about ambition. I have to read on here. A strong wish to achieve something. And in the New Testament, one of the followers of Jesus, Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. So the opposite of, obviously, selfish ambition is selfless ambition, isn't it? Looking to the interests of others. So when we think about ambition, and we'll need to think a lot more about this, I'm certainly not going to get into it much today, but that's something for house groups or for you to look at your ambitions, to try to put them through the lens of that. What am I doing that's in the interests of others? Jesus was perhaps the most ambitious of people. He was absolutely determined. And we see this in the gospel accounts of him, that nothing is going to persuade him to do anything other than go to the cross. And that's our first point for today, whoops, that Jesus' ambition was the cross. Sometimes we can think, oh, perhaps our Jesus' ambition was, um, a bit of an, it was a bit of an accident, the cross. But I want us to think today that it was his ambition. So we're going to start by reading um, chapter 10, verse 32. Um, and again, same as the other week, we're going to do it in three parts because... Eight, nine, and ten, there's three parts, three parts, three parts. We're doing the three parts again. Okay, so looking at chapter 10, verse 32, and there's usually a Bible in front of you. Some, loads of people have got it already on their laps. Anyone got a page number? 1015. <laughs> Excellent way of putting it, 1015. If you can't find it, just someone will look and see, and they'll give you their Bible, and they'll take yours. They're very quick. Okay, Okay, let's read together. Um, They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside, and he told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And this is Jesus' third declaration, as I said. He's going to Jerusalem. He's incredibly specific at this point about what will happen. Mocking, spitting, flogging, killing, rising. And we see all of that happen. And Mark, particularly here, wants to stress that what has happened to Jesus is no accident. The cross was his plan. We can call it his strategic goal, and he did hit it, maybe, unlike us. <laughs> Jesus was fully aware of what was coming. And I want you to take this picture of them going to Jerusalem, and Jesus is leading the way. It um, means he' determinedly striving. And Mark wants to give us this picture that he is slowly separating away from his disciples. There's a bit of space coming in between them. He is striving. Some gospels say he put his face towards Jerusalem. Because in Jerusalem, remember the Sanhedrin have issued a declaration that he is to be arrested on sight. He knows what he's going into. And we see that Mark uses two words to describe how the disciples are feeling about this journey. And we've got two up here. The first one is translated in your Bibles as astonish. There you can see the Greek words and I'm not going to pretend to pronounce it properly. But you'll see it says, amaze, passive, dumbfounded, to the point of becoming emotionally stalled, shutting down. Also implying a sense of wonder and terror. So if we look here, it says, the disciples were astonished. I don't think this astonished means, oh, that was a nice miracle. But rather that sense of emotionally shutting down, and terror, because they know what they're walking into. The second one, it talks about afraid. Those who followed were afraid. Again, you see it up there. To fear, withdraw from, avoid. It, where we get our word phobia. The rest of the disciples, if you imagine, here is Jesus striving ahead. His disciples are to the point of shutting down emotionally. They are so terrified of what is coming. And those wider disciples, the women supporting him, those that have been healed, are wanting to run away. So instead of just thinking about how Gethsemane was a place of loneliness for Jesus, it starts here. And Mark wants us to understand that. It's a scene of immense fear and courage. Jesus' courage is unbelievable in the face of he knows exactly what is coming and he determinedly strives to it. The disciples, and I'll choose all of them, are also full of fear and yet courage. They are actually full of faith. Because there is that underlying belief in them that whatever they're facing, Jesus will be able to deal with it. Otherwise, they would run at this point because they know what is coming. And as I was thinking about this, I thought some of us, when we experience times of fear, when we're journeying, We have that amazing peace beyond all understanding that transcends as we know that Jesus is with us. We have that. But I think it's important to show that the fear doesn't necessarily go. We can still be filled with that sense of shutting down with terror and withdrawing, wanting to run away. And yet we know that Jesus is. Is with us. I found this one quote and I liked it. So here's a picture of Jesus striving ahead. It says, The silent withdrawal from converse with them struck all the disciples with a vague fear and the twelve with absolute terror. And I want us just to feel that as we think about what's going on here. Okay, Okay. let's look at the next one. The disciples' ambition, unlike Jesus' was similar to our own, the ambition is power, and we've looked at this before. Remember, this is the third time he said this will happen, and it's contrasted against what the disciples will think will happen. Okay, and so in the middle of this, we get the following words. So let's read them, verse 35 now, in that same passage. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him, teacher. They said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other on, at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with James and John Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord over, and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, so we've got it here, this um, split again of Jesus going, I'm going to say what I'm going to do, and then what do the disciples think? The disciples think still that despite whatever happens in Jerusalem, however scared they are, that it will result in Jesus being all-powerful and over everything. And that is true, but how he does it and what that looks like is very different from what they think. If you want to see the progression of this, if you look back at 8.31, you'll see here he does... He began to teach them many things and we rejected. It's followed by Peter saying, no, that will never happen. And then it's followed by what it means to follow him, to take up your cross and follow. Then in 9.30, we see the second time, It says, um, the son, sorry, 931, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And then it's followed again by the disciples arguing about power and authority. And then it's followed by who is in the kingdom. And so here again, we've got that. And he's saying, if you want to follow me, it's not about power. It's not about financial gain. It's not about staying where you are. It's not about being free from suffering. It's not about destroying evil with power. Jesus' way, as we looked at the other week, is completely upside down. And they can't see it. It's so different. It's so revolutionary. It is to overcome evil, not with evil, but good. To overcome power, not with power, but with humility. Look at verse 37 in chapter 10. And this is what the disciples ask. They say, let one sit at your right and the other on your left in glory. Now, glory um, can mean magnificence or beauty. We sing, don't we? We've sang it this morning, uh, what a beautiful name it is. Or we might sing, you're beautiful beyond description. That can seem really weird But it's basically saying about God's glory, what he looks like, how beautiful he is, how magnificent. The disciples are after some of that glory. Let's look at some of the passages that talk about glory. So the first one says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of his, the Father's glory, and the exact representation of his nature. Jesus, just in himself, displays who God is. You Want to see who God is? Just look at Jesus. That's what he looks like. And John's gospel begins with telling us this. And the word, referring to God, who created the universe, became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we saw his glory. We saw what he looked like. He became present with us. This glory is, in the Old Testament, called call it Shekinah, the presence of God, his physical manifestation, him being there. And so here it's saying, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his Shekinah. And Shekinah means cause to dwell, the divine presence of God is amongst us. In the Gospels, especially in John, he's seeking to prove who Jesus are. These signs of who he is again and again are rising from the dead, healing the sick, delivering people. We see Lazarus about to be raised and Jesus says, you're going to see the glory. You're going to see what God is like. And we see it, and Stephen, as he's being stoned, he looks up to heaven and he sees the glory of God, the physical manifestation. But glory here, James and John, and in some Gospels say that their mum's with them, uh, are thinking glory means power, glory means a throne, glory means authority, glory means taking back this land from the Romans. But Jesus' face is set to the cross. And John twelve twenty three says this. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour, and that's sort of an expression that John uses all the time to mean the time, the time, has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And the glorified is going to be on the cross. This will be the moment when the world will see who God is, what he is like. We sing that song, we're going to sing it later actually, it talks about Jesus on the cross. This is Jesus in his glory, king of heaven, dying for me. And so, as the disciples gather around and say, we want to be at your right and your left in your glory. He says, you don't know what you're asking for because what will be at his right and his left when he comes into his glory will be two thieves, one on his right and one on his left. That is what they're really asking for. And Jesus' understanding of the cross is shown in his last statement, verse 45, where he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And this ransom picture that the cross, why does he want to go to the cross so much? Why would you go? Why would you head for Jerusalem when you're in absolute terror, when you will sweat drops of blood of terror, when every disciple will flee from you, your friends will abandon you? Why would you do that? And we see his understanding of the cross as he picks up some from Isaiah 53, and you can go there if you want to, or 54, and we get these songs of the Messiah, and they're saying things like, surely he took up our pain, he bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions, our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And later on, I love this bit. 54 verse 9, I'm just going to read it. It says, to me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. It says, so now. I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. And I love that because that's what the cross achieves. You know, when Paul talks about neither height nor death, nor anything in all creation will ever again separate us from the love of God, it is because of the cross that that has happened. And it is his absolute ambition to get there because he wants us. So finally, let's look at the last bit of chapter 10. And then we'll finish the last bit Turn the page. So verse 46, Mark puts in this account. What does he want us to teach us? We've got Jesus saying, I'm going to do this. We've got the disciples saying, I think it's going to look like this. What do we get from Bath Verse 46. Then they came to Jericho... Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. And remember, that's the exact same question that he asked in verse 35, 36 of the disciples. What do you want me to do for you? Remember what they asked. And he says, the blind man said, Rabbi, which means teacher, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. So finally in this section, remember he's done it three times. Mark wants to teach us, you know, Jesus is is showing What's the correct thing to be asking? What do you want me to do for you? They said, oh, we want power, we want success, and we have a similar thing, you know, we want to get out of this trouble, or we want to do this, or we want to achieve this, but what should we be asking? He says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see. Do you remember the disciples couldn't see? We looked, talked about Luke right at the beginning, didn't we? They wanted to see, but they couldn't see because it was veiled. It just wasn't time. They were unable to see who Jesus was. They were unable to see what he was meaning when he said, I'm going to the cross. You think, well, he means they're going to the cross. They weren't able to see, but the Bartimaeus says, I want... To see, And I think he's trying to show us here, it's not just about physical seeing, is it? He wants to see. Bartimaeus, the first thing he's going to see is Jesus. The first thing he's going to see is the glory of God stood in front of him. The first thing he's going to be able to follow and do and make his ambition in life is to follow Jesus. And that's what he does immediately. He follows this crowd. And remember, they're not the jolly crowd. They are the terrified crowd. And he follows Jesus to Jerusalem where we know that that Jesus will be rejected and beaten and spat on and go to the cross. And remember what the disciples are doing? We've picked it up again and we saw it not so long ago. Remember, he's done three lots of this. The disciples, as it says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. What are they trying to do again? They're trying to exclude people from the kingdom. They did it with the children, and now they do it with him. Jesus, remember, his face is set. He is going to Jerusalem. He knows what is coming, and he didn't just get frightened in the garden, there's this sense of fear and expectation and excitement and he stops and says, come. Now, I think that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That we can shout out to Jesus, Jesus, just have mercy on me. And he's never too busy. He's never too preoccupied. He's never like, you know, we can get into that. And yeah, we're not the center of the universe. Let's be honest about that. There's plenty of stuff that God's got going on. But if we cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, I just want to see you. Who are you? I want to see what it means to follow you. He's going to stop and say, come on, let's see what it means to follow me. I just want to finish today with um, a bit of the Hebrews passage. And uh, Andrew, I think, read it at the beginning of the year, although I wasn't in the service. But was that right? Did you read that at the beginning of the year? I think you did. So let's come back to it. And this is a writer writing to Christians who are struggling. He wants them to keep going. He wants them to stop, uh, to, to not give up on Jesus, to keep going with Jesus, to run with perseverance, the, mar- the race marked out. And verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. What do, we wanna, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the one who went before us with immense courage, immense courage, and the perfecter of our faith for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He went to the cross, the joy before him. What's on the other side? Peace, man and God reconciled. Scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne but I just want us to just go slightly back the beginning of 12 let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and it made me think of this blind man when he leaves everything everything he owns he's sitting on he just leaves it and follows Jesus and that's what Jesus said to the disciples come follow me they left everything and followed him So there's lots of things in that today, but let's just be quiet for a moment. Let's invite the Spirit to just say, just say. Jesus is saying, what do you want me to do for you? And let's just think and see.